On this episode, OKX embraces Latin American crypto market. The new Shelly code pushing Cardano, a blockchain protocol, to fully decentralize after a two-year delay. Meanwhile, R3, IOTX, and iExec join Confidential Computing Consortium. What that means to you. And in China, more firms are applying for patents and how blockchain proved its worth in a copyright infringement civil suit. Welcome to The Current Forecast, the podcast supplemental that dives into the top blockchain and emerging technology stories of the week, curated by the Forecast News editorial team. Welcome to Episode 20, the first full week of July 2020. I'm Angie Lau, Forecast News Editor-in-Chief. Joining me as usual is Senior Correspondent Sam Reynolds and our Forecast Insights guru. Sam, you asked for it. It's the second half of the year. How's it going so far? <laughs> I will tell you in two years. There's a two-year delay on that answer. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, let's. Uh, there's no two-year delay for our first story. This is very interesting. It's OKX. Uh, this is one of the top uh, exchanges in the world, and it's launching a gateway into Latin America. So the leading Chinese cryptocurrency exchange announcing a partnership with LATAM Digital Settlement Network called Settlement Network, <laughs> very uh, very unique there, to allow users to purchase Bitcoin and Ether with uh, the Argentine peso, the Mexican peso, and uh, the Brazilian real through its product LATAMX. What is the significance here beyond what I think is, is truly a... a much more mass adoption from that part of the world. So the problem right now is if you hold a fiat currency that's not one of the major currencies like the US dollar or the Japanese yen or you know the G7 currencies, you pay a pretty big premium to buy crypto because of course the volume of trade in a currency like the peso or the real is a lot less than the US dollar or the yen. So what they're doing right here is they're trying to build out a new payment rail that is denominated in these new currencies to hopefully build out volume and for you know Bitcoin users in the region, bring down the price margin to encourage adoption of crypto, especially in currencies that are local. Well, I mean, the significance, even if you're you know beyond the two decimal places uh, and going into eight, is also the foreign exchange. When you when you don't have the ability to maximize um, that in in the truest sense, uh, and then of course you're you're losing, um, you know, little by little as as you switch currencies into finally the the cryptocurrency that you want to use. This would actually be really great for individuals who want to preserve as much of their uh, of their their purchasing power in their currency. But also, it's actually a really great liquidity uh, injection uh, for for the markets. Well, it certainly is. Now, I think that both OKX and Binance want to build out the presence in the region because countries like Argentina and Brazil right now are going through turmoil, right? So if you are a wealthy Brazilian or a wealthy Argentinian, you want to get your cash out of the country. Now... I know Argentina has capital controls, so you want to find alternative pathways for your capital to leave peacefully. So it could be crypto. 
All right. Well, let's talk about Cardano here. We saw a 5,000% increase in search volumes. Uh, and this is the Cardano Virtual Summit. And we've been waiting for this protocol to release its mainnet, I guess you could call it, uh, but essentially its main product for the past couple of years. And we've, we've spoken with uh, IOHK founder and CEO, uh, Charles Hoskinson in the past. And even then, uh, we were still awaiting this protocol to be uh, released. And, and now the Shelley code is indeed on its mainnet uh, June 30th. And what does it actually mean for Cardano? What is, what is the impact of this, this event, the event that a lot of developers and, and a lot of the community has been waiting for? So the issue at hand is that Cardano's code has been delayed significantly. Now, in the crypto world, if you have delays like this, you lose a lot of relevance. So in the time since Cardano announced this roadmap and has delayed things, in those two years, all those features that were advertised have been put into Ethereum or new upstart protocols like Tron or EOS. So as a result, you know, They've had a lot of issues in getting developers onto their main nets and getting people to build out code and build out D apps on their platform because you know these people, these developers are looking for the next great thing and you know the next hottest blockchain. And right now that's not Cardano because to use their platform, you pretty much have to go back two years. Why did it take so long? Well, Why did it take so long? One of the issues is that they're using a fairly obscure uh, language called Haskell. And most code for blockchain is programmed in uh, C-sharp or Java. But the choice of this uh, language, you know, it has advantages for sure, right? At the same time, though, the actual labor pool of expertise is a lot smaller uh, than EOS or Tron, or Ethereum. So with that in mind, you know, it's tough to find developers that can actually code for this platform. And as a result, the amount of traffic on the blockchain is a lot less than competitors. You know, Hoskinson were to argue, and he did when I asked him about it directly, about why Haskell was, was the code of choice, was Obviously, this is this is for cybersecurity and uh, hack prevention. This is this is the kind of code that is uh, in its elite status that really kind of creates a, a much more uh, secure uh, program uh, and a secure blockchain protocol. Correct. I mean, as a result of bugs, as a result of sloppy coding, we've had millions, if not more, in Ethereum or other, you know, crypto tokens lost. Like for instance, with MakerDAO, there was a pretty critical bug in their code base. And when that got released to the wild, hackers uh, found that and they siphoned off God knows how much uh, in tokens. And so I think on one hand, Cardano wants to definitely, you know, avoid a episode like this. However, on the other hand, the general ethos of the blockchain space is to move fast. And you know, if you're slow, if you have a roadmap and don't hit those targets, well, it's tough to get community on your side. 
All right. Speaking of community, this is a very uh, elite community and it's getting a little bit bigger. The Confidential Computing Consortium, we saw a, a huge jump in the search volume as we saw that R3 and others uh, essentially joining the Linux Foundation's Confidential Computing Consortium. Uh, so that would be R3, Facebook, NVIDIA, Accenture, IOTX, and iExec are also uh, some crypto firms that are listed to join the CCC. What exactly does this mean for the average user, you and me? What is, first of all, what is the Confidential Computing Consortium? And, and what part of the phone or our smartphone does it live on? So let's take a step back here and talk about where exactly this code will reside on your phone. So within the processor on your phone, there is part of it called the trust zone. And that is a you know, walled garden where only certain code can run. And it's a very secure walled off place of the processor. So with that in mind, you know, it's a great place to store stuff that's confidential. For instance, if you're on an iPhone, your picture for face ID is stored there or your fingerprint scan for the sensor is also stored there. So it's a great place to store you know, secure information. Now, it's very unique to actually be able to use that part of the processor. Um, this consortium is actually trying to build out a methodology and a framework to write code to address that part of the CPU. So that way you can have more applications and more platforms actually using that part of the processor so you can secure code there. Now, for instance, with HTC, they have a blockchain phone called Exodus. On the surface, the phone is you know, quite generic, right? However, the secret sauce there is the ability HTC has to store your blockchain keys in that part of the processor. So effectively, this whole consortium is just a way, a move to bring that uh, methodology out to the public and allow other platforms to use that. So you can do things like store your keys for a chat app in that part of the processor or other kinds of uh, confidential data. I mean, the, the, the increasingly people are, are recognizing the need for that beyond just thinking that their smartphone is secure in and of itself. We've got two-factor authentication uh, that, that uh, a lot of the apps that live on your smartphone, uh, you should actually initiate. But even then, that's not foolproof because it's tied back to your cell phone number. And if somebody clones your SIM card and pretends to be you, which has happened, um, you know, essentially they've got an open key to pretty much all your accounts and all your apps. This is what we're talking about here in the trust zone. That that truly transcends even just 2FA, two-factor authentication, right? Exactly. So the problem with that 2FA via SIM card is that you are only as strong as the weakest link. So if you are able to go to the telecom with a fake ID, or if you have someone actually an inside person in the company, you can tell them to clone that SIM card so that when you get queued for the 2FA, you get that to your phone and you're able to you know, enter the person's account. Uh, this happens a lot to people with crypto wallets uh, and also people with uh, email accounts. So a few very famous YouTubers had their 
accounts hacked because they were able to convince the telecom or someone else was uh, commissioned the telecom that they were this famous YouTuber and they give them a new SIM card. And from that, they got 2FA and were able to gain access to the person's account. Wow. <laughs> it happens. Um, but you know, there is a, is there something called uh, technology and, and uh, it's, an, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to see how that just that next layer of technology is trying to circumvent, um, you know, the weaknesses in the game uh, that is still really standard for a lot of people. All right. Over in China, as we wrap things up this week, China's patent game is getting strong here, Sam. What's going on? So we don't really associate China with the land of fakes and knockoffs. And you wouldn't think that a Chinese patent is worth its weight in paper. Now, that could not be more wrong. So in the last few years, the powers that be in China have really pushed to mature their patent system. And as a result, you have more firms actually making that jump to file for patents. And what's interesting, actually, is foreign firms are filing the patents in China. So as they see a more mature, a more trustworthy uh, patent industry in the country, and also the rise of blockchain technology there, it becomes an important market to stake out your claim for IP. So a new report came out recently from the Chinese Patent Protection Agency, which showed that you know both Chinese firms and also foreign firms were being awarded more and more patents within China. So you know it really shows that the idea of China as this lawless land of IP theft is becoming a thing of the past. I mean, of course, it still exists. There's still knockoff, you know, Nikes and knockoff uh, Prada bags. But, you know, the maturity of the system means that there is a mechanism to get redress should you feel that your IP is infringed, be it for uh, shoes or be it for a code base for a blockchain D app. See, that, that's, that's extraordinarily interesting, um, especially if that standard is being met in China. And then what happens in a, in a global stage would you know, does that patent have legitimacy um, in other patent jurisdictions? I'm, I'm thinking of, of the gold standard in the U.S., but I think it's first mover advantage. Um, but also, uh, uh, also the, you know, patents should be filed in the U.S. as well. What, what's your sense of that? I mean, are we going to see an export of patents from China uh, and filing into the U.S.? Yeah, so we've seen a lot of U.S. patents being enforced in China, for sure. Now, the test will be, will the courts recognize a Chinese patent in the U.S.? Uh, theoretically, yes, they should. Uh, however, with the cloud of the trade war, you know, hanging above this, and an issue coming up on both the left and right is, uh, you know, IP and patents, you might not see a lot of enthusiasm U.S. on that side. Now, that being said, the U.S. is the gold standard for IP protection, but not the only game in town. Now, let's see, first of all, if the EU will accept these patents or Japan or other major world powers. But 
I think the fact that you have American firms, you know, Korean firms, European firms all applying for patents in China shows this newfound confidence in their system. Interesting. And uh, last but not least, some confidence uh, using blockchain to establish copyright uh, uh, in a copyright infringement uh, suit. This is a uh, blogger, Chinese blogger, accused media company in China of plagiarizing one of his posts on a media platform owned by Tencent. And what they were able to prove using a timestamp of the blogger's contents in blockchain was that, in fact, indeed, uh, the blockchain timestamp showed that the blogger had that content out first. So it's only a blog post. But where this becomes interesting is if we apply this to more complex properties. So, for instance, okay, how about then uh, source code? How about then... Uh, from that a patent, perhaps, or anything else. Because once you set precedent that in a court system, a blockchain timestamp can be used to determine ownership, it opens the door to using that same timestamp and the hash for more complex properties. So it's great that you know this person was able to exert their claim over the blog post, but let's check back in a few months or longer when, you know, a company is accused of software piracy or other kinds of complex IP theft, and what determines ownership is a uh, blockchain timestamp. Well, you know what? Precedence has been set. So that is, uh, in law, that's the most critical thing in the application of uh, blockchain uh, establishing establishing uh, copyrights is a uh, is very interesting development in China. And I'm going to Put a timestamp on this one, Sam. Uh, we're about uh, wrapping it up right now. Uh, we talked about all the top leading stories that we've been monitoring uh, for you all this week. Any final thoughts, uh, things that we should be paying attention to, Sam, before we wrap things up? Well, if you check back on Forecast News shortly, you will see the latest chapter in the Bitmain saga. There is more drama from the two <laughs> co-founders that are at war. And uh, this time, it's getting serious. It involves bank accounts. So check back soon, forecast.news. Fists of fury. And now bank accounts too. Sam Reynolds, as usual, thank you so much for joining me on The Current Forecast. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this latest episode of The Current Forecast, episode 20. I'm Angie Lau, Editor-in-Chief, Forecast News. Until the next time. Bye.